Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Stick a Fork in It. We're continuing to check in on the community and keep you guys up to date with what's going on at Beating Tampa Bay and with our partners that we work with in the community, especially during this time during the uh, coronavirus um, scare. And uh, my name is Ev Malcolm. I'm the engineer for the show. I'm here with Matt Spence and Shannon Hannon-Olivero. And uh, our guest today is Cindy Stewart, who is the Hillsborough County School Board member for District 3. How are you doing today, Cindy? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks, thanks. for joining us. <laughs> so out of the gate, Cindy, really quickly tell you, tell everyone. So what does District 3 encompass if people don't already know? Okay, so my district is uh, North, um, North Tampa, New Tampa. Um, I go from, I like to say, from the original Carrollwood area all the way up to Steinbrenner High School and Moose Lake Fern Road up that way. And then I swing all the way over to the Plant City line. So all the way up across wow. that Pasco area, all the way to Plant City line. So yeah, wow. it's a big district. It is. It is. A lot of, a lot of schools in that mm -hmm. area. So how many schools is that? Um, I have the largest number of high schools in that in that portion of the district because that's where most of most of our growth has been. So I have six six or seven high schools in that area um, with some crossover um, and roughly 50, 55, 60 schools. So it's a big district. Um, of course, we make decisions that represent all schools. So I mean, that's just happens to be my constituent area. So how has it been going since, uh, you know, we're kind of staying home, social distancing, all of that? Personally, how are you doing in your family? So we're doing well. I have, um, I am home, working from home remotely. I actually participated um, a week and a half ago and um, our board was required to have a meeting. Um, so while the governor has relaxed um, some of the rules around meetings for essential employees, they really haven't relaxed the sunshine laws. So um, our attorney is very conscious of the fact that um, we need to continue to have meetings. Now, whether or not our next meeting in late April will be in person or whether it will be um, uh, virtual or not, we'll see. But two of us did stay home. Uh, Dr. Hahn and I actually um, uh participated remotely and we had full access to the meeting. Um, so that was really nice. We gave at that time the superintendent um, full authority to do in an emergency situation what he needed to do without coming to the board. So there's not a lot of reason for the board to meet right now. He's keeping us abreast of what he's doing. Um, so I'm working from home. Um, I have one child who is with me. He is 16 and he's a junior in high school. And so that's been a bit of a challenge to um, um, keep him focused on what it is that he needs to do. But I am finding, uh, ironically, you know, we always talk about as parents, your communication with teachers. Boy, has the communication changed with teachers um, on, in this whole process. Um, I also have two college students. I have one who is supposed to be graduating in May. She's up at Florida State. Um, she stayed up there to um, <laughs> she stayed up there to finish her classes. She's in a house, so she's not in student housing or in an apartment that's been, you know, told that they have to go home. So she's staying up there. Um, she was working um, at a to-go place where they were doing to-go food for a little while. I'm not sure how much longer that's going to happen. My other child is at USF. She's a sophomore and she is also in off-campus housing. So she has stayed in her apartment. All her roommates have gone home. So she kind of has the place to herself. But um, I will say that on the on the post-secondary side that the professors have really ramped up what they're expecting from students too. So she's busier than ever studying, um, trying to 
you know, keep things abreast there. So, but for the most part, we're ordering food to be delivered to the house. I went out yesterday to drive to North Tampa and pick up masks from my sister-in-law who's making them um, for my family and some family friends. Um, but I really haven't left the house very much other than to exercise in the neighborhood and um, try and maintain. Um, we've done some virtual gatherings um, like this um, and off hours with some friends, but um, just trying to stay connected to people. Um, we are also in the middle of um, unprecedented times for this district. So the questions that keep coming up, um, I also sit on a, the state board for a school board association and I recently was put on um, a national association board, the Council of Urban Boards of Education. So the information that I'm getting nationally and statewide that people are struggling with um, is very, very interesting and I'm very pleased to say that I think Florida is way ahead of the curve on some of the stuff we're doing. So I'm excited about that. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah, so you you've experienced a lot of really interesting things in your your time as a school board member from the yes. grant and all sorts of other stuff that I think has given you a really unique perspective on uh, the challenges that your students face. Mm -hmm. uh, in a little bit, I want to talk about how we partnered together uh, over the years and, and all that you've done to support the work of Feeding Tampa Bay and and connect us with your students. But uh, right now, I'd just love to hear what your thoughts are on how your students are are handling things. I know, what is it, is it the sixth largest school district in the country now? That's seven. Seven, seven. okay. And so how we do you- We moved from eight to seven this year. What, what's your read on, on how students are doing across Hillsborough County? So, um, so far, um, things seem to be going remarkably well. You know, I think that this district and other districts like us that were, were off the week before we actually closed schools down, we had the advantage. And while a lot of families didn't take vacation and they didn't go anywhere because we kind of shut down on Friday the 13th, right around there, the 14th, um, a lot of our teachers were home preparing and the district essential employees actually took that week of not having all of our employees here to really ramp up what we were going to be doing with students. So the following week, really, we focused on distribution of packets and devices, which we continue to do. Um, we still have um, we purchased almost 13 million dollars of additional devices that we will continue to give out next week. Um, we've distributed roughly 60,000 so far. Um, we had we started with having homeroom teachers call families and say, "Do you have a how many children do you have in the home? Do you have a device for that child to use? And do you have any sort of connection to the internet? Do you have Wi-Fi? Can you link up on a hotspot? You know, and how many people in the home are going to be need to be to be doing that? Because you know, if you think about it, if you've got two parents working and now you got three kids working, and that could seriously stress your your connection at home. Um, so we've got a variety of things happening. Um, a lot of devices that were distributed from schools, um, a lot that have been purchased that we continue, like I said, continue to purchase, uh, to, to push out. Um, we've got a lot of kids that the only connectivity that they have is a phone. So they're watching YouTube videos with their, you know, teachers are using a lot of different tools that, um, I will say we will come out of this way more tech savvy than we ever <laughs> thought we were. We thought we were tech savvy and we thought we had, you know, a lot of capabilities. But I'm telling you, we will um, we will come out of this in a very different scenario. I actually think you will see a lot of this continue through the summer 
as we continue to try to put kids in the in the best position for them to um, move to the next grade level, I think they'll will continue a lot. We'll have a heavy summer of e-learning, um, but for the most part. Kids are doing pretty well. Um, the biggest complaint that I have been seeing and hearing on the blogs and on um, emails that we're getting is the amount of work that is being given to kids. And I think that teachers started to create stuff and they just kept loading it. And so a kid goes on to their Edsby or Clever account and they see this like pages and pages of stuff and they're like, it's over. it is overwhelming. I, I looked at my son's stuff um, on his Etsy page come on the first couple of days I gave it a couple of days and I was like okay I can't even look at this anymore because there's so much here um, so they've scaled that back a little bit they've been told to kind of give students some grace um, we have um, the state has said there will be no testing so there's no state testing there are no end of course tests there are no finals um, so all of that has been so a lot of the grading will come just from the work they're doing at home. Um, we have discussed uh, a pass-fail system, but that brings with it a whole host of other issues for, especially for uh, older kids, um, GPAs being calculated, how do you take the third nine weeks, which we released um, those grades um, on Wednesday and Thursday, I believe. Um, so how do you then take a pass-fail and match it with an A or a B in the third quarter and the third nine weeks? So. I don't see the DOE moving in that direction. I think we're going to end up with grades, but they're going to be very lenient in that we're giving kids time. If you can't turn it in on Friday because you couldn't get connected and you turn it in at a reasonable time, then teachers are being asked to really. Um, attendance has been another thing that was a real big um, kind of a thorn in every parent's side. Parent teachers wanting kids to log in at a specific time. And we just have to remember there could be three or three, two or three kids in the house trying to log in to do attendance. Um, we've clamped down on some of the requirements and some of the restrictions around um, our space like this um, and what teachers are allowed to do and not allowed to do. So teachers bring every child into the space. Um, they're muted. Uh, and, and even in the space, um, I was fortunate yesterday enough, I had a teacher at Mort Elementary invite me to her class. Um, which I was like, okay, what is this going to be like? Well, I couldn't see the kids. They could see me and they could see the two teachers, but they were only in the chat on the right-hand side. So it was really interesting. So they were asking all kinds of questions in the chat, and then I could respond to them that way. So I was on there for like the last 15 minutes of their class period, and, and I go into that class and that school frequently. So they, I'm a familiar face, but they want to start highlighting other things, like what is an essential worker? So students in fifth grade can see, you know, a nurse or a doctor or someone who's an essential worker in our system and people that they know and why it is that those people are still working and maybe mom and dad are at home. So um, for the most part, to, to give you a, that was a long answer, but things are going remarkably well, really, really well. We're very pleased. That echoes a lot of my wife is a teacher over in Pinellas County and uh you know, she got very excited about figuring out how to teach science online and was doing videos about DNA extraction from strawberries and egg drops and all sorts of stuff like that. And then realized that all of the other middle school teachers were doing the same and uh, maybe we needed to pull back just a bit. So mm -hmm. uh, it's it's been great to see how everybody's really embraced it. Uh, <laughs> right, here we go. We can, uh, I'll join you with sharing pets. <laughs> Um, I don't see yours is live though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 
I'm in my office, so the pet's not welcome at the food bank. Uh, <laughs> Which is a good thing. We <laughs> need a Corona puppy so that I can keep my three boys entertained. Uh, wonders. <laughs> well, Cindy, I have to tell you that I actually live in your district. So we have two kids um, that one is in Steinbrenner and one is in Martinez. And um, the in, you were right. The influx of information in the beginning was a little like, whoa. Uh, but they are doing amazingly well. And um, our middle schooler, actually, um, she has uh, maintained the straight A's. And she came in and was jumping around and completely excited. And they've adjusted. You know, they miss their friends. But all of the teachers are doing an incredible job um, helping the kids adjust to just like all of us you know, adjusting to life's new normal and all the changes, but they are learning and uh, kids are learning how to be independent, manage their time, uh, check in with their teachers, um, mm -hmm. and the teachers are being incredibly patient. So I think Hillsborough County, um, from my experience in the district that we're in, they're, they're doing an incredible job. So kudos to you. And uh, from the learning experience, they're doing great. They really oh, are. That's good to hear. That's really good yep. to hear. I know there were some classes today too. They were they were just going to get together for fun. You know, they get together on these Zoom or GoTo meetings or YouTube, and the kids really the kids aren't seeing each other. They're just seeing the teachers, some of them, and so they were going to get together today and just do some fun stuff. You know, have some fun conversation. That socialization period that they typically get during PE or recess or during lunch that they're not having with their friends. So I, I was glad to hear that I hadn't heard that. Um, but we've got kids, um, you know, um, we've got we've got schools doing um, spirit weeks because they're missing their spirit week. We've got schools doing, you know, um, schools that never would have done a spirit week. You know, the kids are showing up with funny hats on or coming to, you know, school and they're on a video in their pajamas, you know, so it's, it's been really exciting to see them kind of incorporate some of that stuff into, um, into the classrooms. So I have friends who show me videos every day. They're, they're like doing, you know, Facebook live of here's, here's my new classroom and three kids are spread out across the house and all on either headphones or listening to teachers. So it's been interesting. I think, I think it's going to change um, education and the way we deliver education um, in the future. I, I can't, I can't say enough about the personal experience and being in a classroom with a teacher in front of you. And, and I think there are students who will struggle through this, um, who will struggle with trying to manage what is in front of them and do it alone. Um, but they're also finding ways to work with each other. My son would never ask for help with math. And all of a sudden, he's got one of his friends that he's FaceTiming with who's walking him through some of the math homework that his teacher is not able to personally walk him through. Um, so they're finding new and inventive ways to get themselves through the material um, that, that has to be presented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I anticipate we'll have a really strong summer. I think we'll have a lot of kids that will need to continue e-learning into the summer um, and just and, and we'll have to identify who those kids are. But um, it's not going to be I, I only see us coming out stronger when we finally get back to school. Um, instead of instead of what I think everybody is thinking is that those kids who are going to be caught in the gap are going to be you know in a, in a lesser position. I, if we continue over the summer and the state funds that that kind of um, platform for us to continue, I, I see us coming out ahead. That's great to hear because I think you know as a parent, I've gained a new appreciation for teachers over the last couple of weeks, even being married to one and being the son of one. Um, but 
I, I've noticed a lot of my friends have, have really understood for the first time exactly what mm-hmm. it takes in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I, I think that there is going to be a whole new appreciation for public education and what is actually, we've forgotten what happens in our schools every day. And we've forgotten, um, you know, and I know where the need is and, and what those needs look like. And I think that not only parents and families, but the business community has really um, started to see, oh my goodness, you know, in just trying to feed children, you know, what's happening out there and how massive of a lift it is, you know, to try and maintain that for a family and for students. Um, so I think the business community is really gonna step up after this, um, as well as the private, private industry. Um, and I think we're gonna see some, some different things happening. Yeah, I feel like people really are starting to appreciate how much more school is than education. Mm-hmm. You know, those other essential things that happen. I know my 10-year-old's a super social kid, and so he's FaceTiming everybody in his class. He's anything he can, good. personal interaction, because it's killing him to only be with his brothers. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it, more more directly to what we're doing together People have no idea that there are 100,000 free meals a day being served in Hillsborough County schools. The, the immense amount of work your team does to feed children, not just to educate them. And you know, among a million other things, having another set of adult eyes on kids who might be vulnerable and you mm-hmm. know, other incredibly important things that happen within the walls of the school. I think that's going to be as big of a change as anything else. Is people will really recognize why schools are so central to community. Right, I agree. It's going to be interesting. We hit our million our million meal mark um, yesterday, so we're really yeah a million <laughs> meals served in fourteen days. Yeah, and I think people don't realize you know as many kids uh, count on school lunch as do. And, and so that's immediately, you know, as this started to roll down, you and I were on the phone together trying to figure out how Feeding Tampa Bay could partner with your food, food service team mm-hmm. and what we could do to make sure that all of those kids who were going to be out of that physical environment where they walk to a cafeteria every day could still get that meal. And we've been scrambling for for a couple of weeks now to make sure that happens. And it's been an awesome partnership. Right. Well, I think we we know what that looks like just for the time out of school that we usually have. So we know over winter break, you know, there's that two weeks that kids are really anxious about, oh my goodness, I'm not going to have, you know, the daily interaction and I'm not going to have that daily twice, sometimes at some schools, three times a meal. Um, and we, we can ramp up for that for those two weeks. And we did for spring break, you know, we ramped up for spring break and we sent food home with kids who, you know, we identified as the most needy and made sure that they were taken care of. But then this happened and we were like, oh my goodness, now what? You know, and it, it has happened quickly. Not, it never happens quick enough for us because we see the need of a student standing in front of us with you know, wanting to not be able or not being able to come back to a school daily for food. Um, but I have to give credit to both the state and to to um, the USDA for allowing for the waivers to happen so quickly for us to move on giving food out just once a day, you know, breakfast and lunch in one package that people can pick up. And now next week we will move to weekly feeding. 
Um, so our plan is on Wednesday to roll out a box um, a box of food. It'll be two bags because we're concerned about kids having to come and get it and carry it. Um, but we will Monday and Tuesday we will serve still free lunch and breakfast for anyone who wants to come and pick it up. Um, and then Wednesday we will start weekly feeding. And then we will actually do a Monday snack um, the following week just till people get used to this weekly feeding. Um, but it has been a huge change for our student nutrition department um, to ramp up for this and even finding um, product and how you package product and how you put it together and how you then it'll be a no touch distribution. So, um, but they will work next they will work Friday this weekend. To, they work today, Monday, Tuesday to ramp up for Wednesday, and then they'll continue to do that work in the following weeks to do the Wednesday deliveries. We'll continue to push out into the communities on our buses, which that's been a whole, our buses aren't refrigerated. So how do you push out on a bus, you know, milk and orange juice when, you know, you don't have refrigeration um, techniques on a bus. So though all those logistics have had to be worked through. I think we're in a comfortable place. Um, to continue to push out food um, weekly. Um, and we know people will show up. Yesterday was a clear indication that um, people um, are showing up for food. We had lines at school that had not had that much distribution. And all of a sudden, Plant High School, for example, I FaceTimed with the principal while he was in the line. And he said, this line is out of my driveway and down Del Mabry blocking traffic. Wow. So um, I do want to say people uh, have, there's a rumor out there that we're going to close site because there's not enough distribution happening. And that is absolutely false. We have no intention of doing that. 147 of our sites will be open uh, for the weekly feeding. So we intend to keep all of them open. And we will continue to push out to the same places that we were with our bus drivers and um, security on the buses. Um, there, that's been a huge rumor we've been trying to squash for a while now. Um, that we are going to stop. If there's not enough volume at a particular school, that we're going to shut that school down and move it to another one. That is not the case. We understand that some families can only get to that school, and it's difficult sometimes for them, especially some of our walking schools. Mort's an example. A lot of those families walk. There is no, There are no buses there at all. So making sure that that um, gets cleared up and that people don't think we're going to shut down sites um, is, has been a challenge for us. Yeah, I think, you know, I want to go back to something you mentioned a minute ago, and uh, normally it's Shannon is the one who gets emotional on these uh, podcasts, but uh, forgive me if I go there a little bit because uh, you talked about how kids get anxious about their next meal. And I think it's something that is really difficult to understand unless you've seen it. Mm -hmm. And it was a life-changing moment for me. Um, my wife, like I said, is a teacher. And when we were uh, we were engaged in, and in college, she was doing her student teaching and she came home at the end of her first week of being in the classroom full time. Um, you know, and I went over to her apartment and, and we were talking and she was just a wreck. She was exhausted and crying. And uh, I hadn't ever seen her like that because she so loves teaching. And she said it was just a really, really rough day. And she happened to be doing her student teaching in a school that had a lot of need. And she mentioned that the kids were really a struggle to deal with on Friday. And, you know, I thought back to my teenage years, my childhood, and I was tough to deal with on Friday too, but for totally different reasons, right? I had my mind on going to the beach and hanging out and having a great weekend. Right. I wasn't really focused, but she saw 
desperation. Mm-hmm. You know, she saw kids who were afraid that it would be 48 hours before they'd have another bite to eat. And right. it broke my heart, you know, and I don't think people really have that image in their head often. You know, we talk about kids needing school lunch and, and that sounds great theoretically, but to see it and to see the desperation and to see the appreciation when you're able to meet mm-hmm. them, it's just something that it's the reason I'm here. And it's something that right. has driven our partnership with you and, and my appreciation for all that you do. And so I just want to say thank you because I know uh, as a school board member, you could be focused on a million different things around the world of education, but you've always been a huge advocate for us and our ability to help your students with food. And that's well, you know, for me, it's it you. There's no way we're going to teach kids if they're sitting there worried about food or they're hungry. I mean, it's just it's it, you know. I just think of myself. If I'm starving or thirsty, there's no way you're going to get me to focus or pay attention or participate. Um, so we have other challenges with students, but. For, for us, that's a big one. If they're if they're hungry or if they can't, you know, or, or they're worried about where their next meal is, there's so much anxiety around where their next meal is going to come from. Um, there's no way we're teaching them. We're not we're not getting through to them. So um, for me, that's when the basic needs aren't met, um, we're not able to do what we need to do. And so we have to make sure we're meeting basic needs of 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 all of our kids um, and it's families too. I mean, you you know, I have teachers. Um, who um, are going to our pantries. We have a very, very productive pantry right here in the heart of Carrollwood um, yeah. that is, you know, serves a lot of people who are working paycheck to paycheck and serves our elderly um, who are deciding whether to buy food or medicine. Um, so it, it's ironic when I tell people about even that location and they're like, what, in the middle of Carrollwood? And I said, yes, in the middle of in the heart of Carrollwood Village, there's an extremely productive pantry. And those people don't come from far to get yeah. food. Um, they they live right in the immediate area. So, Well, that's kind of the foundation of our partnership and how we got to know each other was around building a school pantry program. And again, I have to give you and the team over at the district credit because uh, it, it's amazing to see what we've done together over the last three years, building, you know, what are we now at almost 30 school pantries? 30, I don't even I know. You know, okay. it's is the opportunity to move from a, uh, a place where we were sending a little backpack home with snacks to really meeting the needs of an entire family because a hungry student has hungry siblings and lives mm-hmm. in a house with hungry adults and has hungry neighbors. And uh, you know, you've really walked the whole journey with us of understanding our need to shift that model because you can't ask a child to be a breadwinner for their family. Right. And so involving the family in the process, inviting them into the school. Um, I think, you know, you you were there when we were meeting with Superintendent Eakins and he, he said something that I think Thomas and I will never forget where he said that the, the opportunity to connect over food mm-hmm. and you as a district to show you care about the child beyond the classroom is something that was really meaningful to you. So again, I I don't know how many ways we can be thankful for the way you guys have really stepped into that need, but it's, it's incredible to see what the district is doing with us. 
Well, I'm appreciative of our partnership as well, and I, I can't thank you enough for making sure that we continue the effort. Um, I think that um, this is something that it does, it connects our families. I have seen um, parents and families come into schools that may have never um, been brave enough to, um, to cross that line and say, you know, I need or I want or I can't afford um, but we offer them that opportunity with dignity to say, you know, I'm struggling and if you can help me and this is a safe place for my child um, and this is a safe environment for me to have this conversation and, and be in an environment where I can still, you know, be supportive of my child while they're here and, and still supply for my family um, has been life changing for some of our families. Um, so. Um, I appreciate the person to when I continue, I hope we continue to grow what we're doing and find new and innovative ways to reach families. Um, it's one of the things that I was talking to our COO slash deputy um, right before I got on this call as we talk about moving into this weekly feeding. And I think that as well as what education is going to be lifted in this community and in this nation around, it's not just about putting kids in front of books and teaching. It's really an experience they spend, if you think about it, seven to eight hours a day in front of people that I don't even know that well, you know, and I'm trusting them to be in front of my children. I think the same thing is going to happen with the um, amount of poverty that is in some of our communities and the lack of food that is available to them. So I'm glad to see some of the efforts that have happened in this community around um, big donors coming forward and making the effort and asking what can I do um, and how can I help? Um, and I think that that's, that's nothing but positive for us and, and a way for us to really reach out into the community and, and show them you know, when people, like I said, when people say, what do you mean there's a food pantry in the middle of Carrollwood? Out of sight, out of mind, if they don't see it, but now they're seeing it. They're seeing, you know, that there's are huge pockets of food deserts that um, are happening that we have got to address. And, and there are children and families living in that that um, are trying to maintain and, and are struggling. So I think it's a huge opportunity for us to really showcase what it is that you do and how we do it together and um, and really show people that, that the need is there. It's, we're not just talking for, for, the, for the fun of it because the need is really there. People don't show up every single day to pick up a bag with snacks in it for their kids unless they really need it. Absolutely. So, I mean, we, we've kind of taken off the table even asking you know, we ask how many kids are in the house and that's how many bags you get. And I, we've said all along, look, if the, if the, if the state or national comes in and audits and says, Hey, Hillsborough County public schools, Cindy Stewart, you gave out a half a million dollars or a million dollars more food than you were supposed to, according to the student, uh, the national student lunch program. Well, fine. We did the right thing at the right time. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. And we'll pay you back later. No, I don't have a problem with that. So allowing grace on all of that. Um, we don't want to have an argument about, you know, show me a student ID or give me a driver's license or any of that stuff. Um, so we've really taken kind of a an honesty approach, you know, with with our families to if you show up, if you're driving to a school every day to pick up food, you are obviously in need. Yes. I think we've always had a uh, kind of half joking, but still pretty serious phrase around here that, uh, if we're going to hell for feeding people who are hungry, then I guess we're going to hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
I like that. <laughs> I'm going to use that one. <laughs> so, Cindy, I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't add in that it's not just your role as a leader in, in helping make these things happen and bring the groups together and, and you know, doing proclamations and things like that, but you really do put boots on the ground, put your money where your mouth is and get your hands dirty with us. And I can't even count the number of times I've seen you standing in line, volunteering with us, handing out food. Um, I wonder if you have any uh, kind of memories or stories around those times that you could share with us, just to give people an idea of what it's like to, to do that hands-on service to the, the folks you serve. Um, there's something, you know, personally rewarding and then professionally, you know, as a servant leader and as a, you know, I, and that's what I do. I run for office and serve the district in a capacity for very little money. <laughs> and, you know, that's just kind of um, our, our nature as servant leaders to continue to give back to the community and find solutions for, you know, the struggles that they're, that they're having. Um, you know, and this, this project, our partnership kind of came about with, um, I was seeing a need at, at one of my schools and they, they were trying to cobble together a pantry and trying to cobble together, you know, how they distribute food. And we had a partner that came forward and I thought, why aren't we doing this elsewhere? I know this school is not the only school that has need. Um, but it, it was, it was interesting. Two weeks ago, I delivered um, a bunch of food to that school for their pantry. Um, and last week, I think they actually, on one of their delivery days, um, handed out some of the food so that I couldn't be there, but the AP took pictures and video and sent them to me. So they're so cute at the kids. And, and because I happen to go to this particular school a lot, they know when they're, they're standing there with these boxes and these bags of food, you know, yelling, thank you, Miss Stewart. So, and that just, I mean, all they have to say is thank you. I don't need any more than that. I don't even need that actually. But um, just to know that, you know, they, for, for whatever reason, are associated that that school takes care of them is enough for us. Um, and, that, and that's what we should be doing, especially the most vulnerable and at the youngest age. Um, you know, we forget sometimes that they, they don't understand um, how, what they need <laughs> until they have it. <laughs> and some of them, don't, they never have it. Um, so it's been interesting. It's been very, very rewarding to continue the program and continue the work and um, I hope to see us expand the work really beyond the 30 schools. I know we're at 30, but. Well, and we'd love to be at more, you know, that you have Absolutely. plenty of need in, in the district. And uh, really the only thing holding us back is, is additional funding because right. we, we know, we know where the need is. We know that we've got the system down pretty well. We know who we're going to serve and, and that it will be the right folks. And so, uh, you know, I, I just appreciate your continued advocacy for us because that's really what's going to get it in more places and serving more families. Right. And I hope, I, I know we're collecting numbers on this stuff. Um, we are. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see school by school since we've opened so many sites, um, kind of where the need is that we haven't seen. That, that maybe comes out, like, for example, my Carrollwood pantry, um, you know, where we see those numbers coming out and going, wow, well, I didn't really realize that there were that many families in that particular high school that are coming and picking up food. That's, you know, that's one that always kind of concerns me because we think about, it's really easy to think about a school with 90% pre-reduced mm -hmm. 
right? 90% need. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about a, a school with 2,000 students, if you have 20% of your kids on free or reduced lunch, that's 400 kids. Right. And that's 400 families who are struggling. Right. And, you know, that, then the percentages and numbers are one thing, but when you get down to that individual level, those kids that you know, mm -hmm. Uh, well, I think I, the other piece of that too is the is the um, knowing that as children get older and as they move into middle school and high school, it becomes more of a stigmatism to say that I don't have. And so we see a whole lot happening in our elementary schools and a lot less happening in middle and high schools because the free and reduced numbers drop off to some degree and we don't have people completing the paperwork and saying, yes, I need, where you still may have a large percentage of kids who are in need, but the paperwork wasn't completed. We don't have them as a documented student coming forward. Um, so um, I think we have a lot of work to do in that space in our, our older, our, 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 our secondary um, spaces to see where the need is. And like I said, I think that's where some of these numbers are going to help us um, in this time as we move out of this to say, wow, that high school has, you know, we didn't realize even though it sits in this demographic area, maybe the boundary is different or maybe the immediate area around really has more need than we thought it was because we were looking at the free and reduced number, which may not be accurate for what the poverty level is of the population in the school. Now you're going to let me get on my soapbox real quick because that's, uh, you know, it's something that we struggle with because you're absolutely right. Uh, teenagers in particular do not like to self-identify as hungry. So we partnered with the University of South Florida and we've done some research into teen food insecurity. And what we found is, uh, is just heartbreaking. And we know that there's more to do. There's a lot of research and information and best practices around how to feed young children, how to feed family you with seniors and best practices around serving people who are homebound. But there's really very little uh, in the way of a roadmap for how to work with teens who are food insecure. And so it's an area that we really have an eye on. We care about it deeply and we wanna make sure that we go past the low hanging fruit, you know, and we look at that hidden need. Um, and it's only because People like you are out there pointing it out and, and really shouting about it and, and helping us to bring light to those hidden needs that we'll be able to do something about it. Right. Well, it takes for us, I know, that human connection to get a student to even say, you know, I'm couch surfing. You know, I haven't had a place to live for the last six months. And when you dig deeper, you find not only are they couch surfing, but they're working a job trying to, you know, support themselves. And they may be, you know, couch surfing is homeless, <laughs> you know, and and I don't have had that conversation with a lot of teachers and a lot of administrators. That's homelessness. You're seeing it. They have friends who are supporting them. But that is a child who is not living with their parents. And they're probably hungry too, on top of all the other services that they could be getting. Um, so, um, um, you know, that's that's something that I don't think people realize. Um, and we have students living with grandparents, students living with other other family members, students living with friends, um, and some that you know that that don't that they're very afraid to report at all. 
um, because of their home situation. Right. So um, especially as they get older, they start to realize the consequences of those things. Um, uh, it, it, I'll never forget, I had a student group um, that did a survey at one of our schools. And one of the things they talked about is, well, what, if you have these issues, why don't you self-report? And the student, the student reported that, well, if I report X, then I know why is going to happen. So if I report that there's no electricity in my house, then I know that there's going to be other consequences on the other end for my mother. They're very attuned to the consequences of what's happening. So if I report that I don't have any food, what does that do to my family? If I report that there's abuse in the home, what does that do to my family? That is my only lifeline. If I report there's no electricity, what does that do, you know, to, you know, my other needs? So as they get older, they're very, very, very plugged into some of those things and what they mean for their for their family units and for them personally. Um, so I can understand the self-reporting issue, but I think there's ways for us to address it. Um, and, and we have to start to address it. One of the things we did in our research, we took a, a really unique approach and uh, the sociology department was helping us out and, and they suggested we do what they call photo voice which is we gave the students the cameras and we said, you know, maybe you can't put it into words. You don't want to give it, you know, you don't want to do an interview with a graduate student who's writing down your information. Right. Wow. Here, we'll give you a camera and just take a picture for us. Show us what it's like to, you know, be hungry or to what, what does food mean to you? What is, and the pictures that we got back were, powerful and heartbreaking and I can imagine just you know if that doesn't move you I don't know what does and so uh, it, that really spurred us on even more to, to say we have to do something about this we have to figure it out so we appreciate your partnership as as we move forward to, to solve it you know I was, I was thinking about that just for a minute and I don't know where this will take us but um my son actually, it's their peers that they lean into because I know my son had a friend that he actually, they all helped uh, one of their peers hide. You know, they were housing him, taking care of him. I noticed that, you know, we found out about it because my son's, uh, he was paying for his lunch and he was just blowing through his account and they were all helping pay uh, for this young boy to eat um, mm -hmm. for an extended period of time and they were taking turns taking care of him. So these are the heartbreaking things. And it's kind of like, how, how do we all work together? Which of course at Feeding Tampa Bay, we're taking those steps. Uh, we have a county that's invested in and cares. And it's just like, how do we put all these things into place to take the stigma away from these kids to not only help them, but to raise them into adults that will help take these problems away. You know, right. moving towards a society uh, that this isn't something that they're ashamed of. It's something that they're understanding move forward, which is what we're trying to get those messages across every day, especially in this time during this health crisis, when we have families that are have never in their lives seen that they would need food assistance that are kind of reaching out to us to help them, all, both of us. You know, so it's um, maybe that's one of those things that are going to come out of what we're all going through today is... Uh, it's, there's no shame in asking for help. So maybe that'll help, you know, not only the children that we see in the schools, um, but the adults and really people of all ages. Well, and I think this too is going to show us too, and, I, and unfortunately, I think there's going to be greater need after this than there was before. And um, I think that, you know, depending on how quickly we get back to work and how quickly people are able to gainfully be reemployed again, um, 
you know, I think it's going to determine how much we are going to have to work even harder to make sure that we're reaching families and kids that um, because I think the need is going to do nothing but grow from here on out. And, you know, until we get back, um, I was on a call this morning. We have a June, late June conference um, planned for Florida School Boards Association that we just canceled. Um, so, you know, we're looking that far into, you know, when will we actually be able to get back to um, our superintendent has said, I hope we get back to school in August. Um, but that's still really up in the air right now. Um, I don't foresee us going back in May. I don't foresee us going back at all. Um, I, I really think we're going to probably be into this and maybe even with a delayed start to school, especially in specific counties. I think South Florida is probably going to be delayed even further and maybe just extending the school year into a later portion of May and June. Um, so shifting for a year, but um, I think our need is going to grow exponentially. And um, as people, if they get back to work, you know, I'm not sure what jobs are not going to be out there. Um, and with the downturn in the economy, you know, I can see a lot of that unemployment being an issue. So students who we never thought would have need are now all of a sudden going to be slipping into this space where they have need. Um, and I think we're just going to have to be very mindful of that, both at the district level and for you guys, um, as, as we continue to feed, you know, into the summer. Right now, the state's only talking about until June 30th. That's when their waiver expires. Um, but what does that look like as we move into summer, which becomes a challenge as well? And then into August, when people do start to come back again, I think the need is going to do nothing but grow. Yeah. yeah, and that's where it's so critical to have community leaders who understand the issue are already aware of, of some of the solutions that are out there. And so I feel really fortunate here in Hillsborough County that we have uh, district leadership, that we have uh, elected officials like yourself who are, who are on the front lines who understand the problem and understand how we can attack it together. So uh, I, I think the need is there and it's great, but I also feel pretty good about our community and our preparedness to respond. I do too. I, I feel really good about that too. I, I heard a story last week about a, a state that actually had to shut down completely their student nutrition program um, in a community and then rely just on community partners to then feed all these children as well as the community. Um, they had a couple of employees um, at the district level that were infected and so they had to basically shut everything down because they had no idea at that point who was infected and who was exposed or not um, and it was a really difficult so they have spent instead of time ramping up for e-learning they've had to revamp that entire process of how they're going to feed kids and then they're just now moving into this e-learning um, platform so it's been interesting like I said to talk nationally um, with other leaders around around the country about their their struggles and what they're dealing with and offer this is what we've done and how we've done it. So um, I don't know, I, I believe we're one of the few states that actually has pantries in schools um, the way that we have them that aren't just backpack feeding programs. And I know when we first did this, we were like, what do you mean they don't have pantries in schools? How could they not? And you have, you know, a, an organization that will support a pantry, but it's not a long-term thing like we've got right. now. Um, you have, you'll have a PTA or a PTSA that say, you know, we'll, we'll bring donations in, but it's not a steady, constant, reliable every, you know, the minute somebody moves on or a principal changes, that could all go away in a heartbeat. 
And I know sustainability was one thing that we talked about early on and making sure that this was something that we could put in place. We didn't want to put it in place and then have, you know, something happen. And uh, whether there was an administrative change or a, a leadership change, then all of a sudden for it to go away because we want the, the community to, to know that it's there and that they can depend on it being there consistently. Yeah, I think people don't realize, you know, uh, we see a lot of those in other communities where they do a big canned food drive and, and maybe can hand out food for a couple weeks, but it takes mm -hmm. real money. And the it, holiday, the holiday food. <laughs> right. It takes a real money and a sustained effort to build a solution and not just put on a Band-Aid. And so we're talking $25,000, $35,000 a year per pantry to make sure that it's not just you know, the stuff that you can reach in the back of your cupboard and, and hope it's not expired and everybody right. bag full. It's real. It's the food that is culturally appropriate, is meaningful to the family that they choose themselves and that they have the dignity of shopping in a pantry, just like you and I have the dignity of shopping in a grocery store. And, and that takes resources. And so we've always appreciated your willingness to go out there and help us get those resources. Right. Well, I find it very interesting. Everyone wants to feed everyone right now. <laughs> so I've been kind of watching, you know, so people are either feeding people or handing out devices. And I'm not sure what else we're doing out in the community or they're making masks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the other, you know, so it's been very interesting to me, the number of people who are coming forward to donate and coming, I know coming forward to donate and coming forward to volunteer and be part of um, this solution for this. Um, and again, I just think that as we continue to move into the summer, as more and more people are out of work, we're just going to see the need continue to grow. And I think it's even actually going to get worse. We talked about it on another call I was on um, with Safe and Sound Hillsborough about then you're going to start to see homelessness grow. You're going to start to see people who are living paycheck to paycheck be forced out of apartments that they were, you know, they don't have three or four months of rent saved. And that's our next big challenge is what do, what are we going to do in that instance? And how is the state and this community handle um, the number of people who are now going to be looking for somewhere else to live and our communities that we already deal with that are in food deserts are going to be the first ones that are probably going to be on those front lines of I mean, we've already seen what's happened with unemployment and applying for unemployment mm -hmm. um, and the number of people applying for unemployment and not being able to get on this and we've got elected officials around the state who are actually printing the applications and leaving them outside their offices for people to come and pick up because they can't get online um, I know my own daughter spent three hours in the middle of the night trying to do an unemployment application. Um, so it's been it's going to be very interesting to see how we hope and pray that we get out of this as quicker sooner versus later. Yeah. Well, I think the key is good leadership, and we feel really comfortable uh, and and appreciative uh, that that that's exactly what we have at the district here with you. So. Um, Thank you so much for, for giving us some of your time. I know you have a lot going on and uh, it's just good to hear what's going on and, and hear the update and, and be able to reconnect even if it's virtually. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your partnership and, and please thank all of your people at, at your offices that do the work with our district staff and have been coordinating the efforts and 
Um, I know our student nutrition, we've got a brand new person in our student nutrition spot and we've got a brand new superintendent and boy, have they had to hit the ground running. Um, but it's been good. Um, the there are people who have really leaned into the work that that needed to. And I think that that's nothing but we have no, I have nothing but positive things to say about Team Hillsborough and the things that we have been you know, managing to accomplish in a very short amount of time. Um, and, and trying to be as positive as possible. So, um, you know, stay with the positive. We've got enough negative things that we could talk about, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you, guys. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around for What the Food Bank. Um, we just wanted to talk about a little bit of the, uh, you know, deeper content of what we were mentioning in the show uh, with Cindy Stewart. So um, one of the first things that I thought, you know, we could focus on was just um, the way that our food pantries in the schools um, in Hillsborough County are, are evolving. And um, uh, Matt, if you can just tell us, you know, kind of briefly, like how we had been operating the, uh, the pantries in schools previously and sort of how they've evolved now that students aren't um, in the schools during the day. Yeah, obviously with the school buildings locked down, we can't invite people into the pantry as we normally would, but the good news is we have a lot going on in those same communities, even often somewhere either near or right on that same campus. We have boys and girls clubs who are co-located, things like that. And we're making sure that the communities that have come to depend on us for food through those school pantries still have access to support. So we are, you know, we're adding extra things in the communities around them and, and we're connecting with them through the, the district because obviously they're still in communication to let them know where they can go find food. Um, and, you know, we talk about this often, but as always the best resource for where to find food near you and where to get the most up-to-date information is our website on the find food button. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, definitely, you know, if you haven't visited our website yet and you're in need of food, definitely visit it. And, you know, another thing that we talked about with Cindy was um, how we want to keep expanding, you know, the school pantry program. And, um, you know, it uh, there are ways that you can help to get involved to make sure that kids are still being fed, even, you know, even during this crisis. So, you know, Shannon, kind of how can people help out with that uh, effort as well? Well, again, it's going to our website, um, feedingtampabay.org, and it's donating. You can donate to Feeding Tampa Bay. Um, I know that people, you know, a lot of people are hearing about us. Um, we are grateful that people are seeing us on the news. You're seeing us all over social, and we are very thankful that a lot of people are donating it to us now. Um, but you have to understand that our numbers are up 400%. Uh, before the health crisis happened, uh, we were responsible for 10 counties. Over 600,000 people relied on us, food insecure people that needed us. And now that is over 400% of that has been raised. So um, we could use donations and we would redistribute those funds to feed people. And part of that is taking care of the children uh, that so desperately need the food. And that is food pantries. And, you know, as soon as we go back to school, you know, we know that our children need normalcy. And, you know, um, Matt, Ev, we know that also uh, that those schools are sanctuary for some of those kids in Hillsborough County and all the other 10 counties that we serve. So we want to make sure that uh, we add in the years to come mobile pantries and what have you. So you can go online and uh, um, donate or you can reach out to our develop de development department if you wanna specifically sponsor a pantry, your company can do that and you can help support that and help in that development process. 
And, uh, you know, I know one of the things that Cindy mentioned was, you know, how we hope that some of the additional services that we're providing now are something that will continue into the future and continue to sort of um, answer the calls that we didn't know even were, were out there. And um, I think that this will be a good way, I hope, for people to stay aware of that. Um, you know, be sure to follow our social media pages to see the things that we're doing and learn more about what the needs are in our community and how we can uh, continue to support each other in the future, even after this crisis comes to an end for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for today, and we'll see you again on the next episode. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay.